Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Happy to have you here. A review of Norwegian Spirit this week. Uh, This is a bucket list cruise. It was a one-way cruise from Hawaii over to Tijuana. Tahiti. I would love to do that one day, but for now, I'll have to live through the interview. So that'll be coming up later. Also, staff writer Richard Sims is back from vacationing and his cruise over to Bermuda. He'll be stopping by in just a couple of seconds to get us caught up on this week's cruise news, cruise radio news, just opposite of this channel. The three things you need to know every day. Been very busy too lately with uh, hurricanes and everything out there. You can find that just opposite of this channel, as I think I just said, or on the cruise radio YouTube channel. Staff writer Richard Sims on deck with cruise news. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. A busy weather week in the Caribbean. Yeah, well, this is what you say, you know, welcome to cruising during hurricane season. In this case, it was Hurricane Fiona, and both the Carnival Freedom and Carnival Legend wound up having to alter the itineraries that they had scheduled. Freedom was leaving out of Port Canaveral, and Legend was leaving out of Boston, but they both got impacted. It seemed at first as if both were going to be kind of okay to maintain their original itineraries, but... As Fiona grew from a tropical storm to a hurricane, they wound up having to make a few changes. Now, frankly, the details of the itinerary change really aren't that important to anyone who isn't on those ships. But, you know, some people are going to be upset. And at the end of the day, it's all about their safety. The cruise line doesn't want to make these changes. It's a pain in the butt for them. But they had to make alternative arrangements and they have to deal with disgruntled cruisers. But Imagine if they didn't make these changes and instead they like so the ship wound up sailing into the heart of a storm. I've been there. It's not fun. I'm sure you've sailed through storms. And OK, I'll admit I kind of like sailing through a little bit of a storm. But, you know, you don't want to sail through a hurricane. And it all leads to a whole lot of people yelling at the people at guest services and demanding refunds. And it, it sort of puts the ships in and their staff in a no-win situation. They're in a bad position if they change the itinerary because people are pissed that they didn't go where they wanted to go. They're in a bad position if they don't change it because they end up sailing through a storm. 
you know, ultimately what's important is that the ship is going to do whatever they can to keep you safe, whether it's, you know, keeping in touch with their onboard weather people or the people on shore, working with the ports to make sure that they can find a, a safe place for you to go. And it's also, as always, a good reminder of why to have trip insurance, because, you know, there might be certain things that are canceled that you are able to file a trip insurance claim for and get a little bit of that money back. But, you know, if you're going to sail during hurricane season, especially with all of the changes we've seen in weather patterns over the last couple of years with hurricane season becoming longer and more intense storms, you sort of have to be prepared that this is a possibility. Yeah, I'm sure it's really fun working in marine operations during this time because, I mean, it wasn't only Carnival, you know, switching itineraries, but also um, a Royal Caribbean ship went over to the Western, a Disney ship, and so did the MSC ship. So it's a matter of all these lines finding dock space on top of the ships that were already scheduled to be there. Exactly. You know, and it's not just a matter of, well, we're going to go to Nassau. You can't just say we're going to go there. You have mm-hmm. to like, actually make sure that they can take you. And, right. you know, it is it is like we said, they don't make these decisions lightly. I know some people kind of sometimes passengers act as if these are decisions that are made very, very lightly. Like, oh, you know, we're just going to make an itinerary change. No, every itinerary change is a pain in the butt. Absolutely. And speaking of itinerary changes, uh, a couple of them or a few for several, I guess, Carnival Vista. Carnival Vista. You know, this class of ship has had some propulsion issues all along and we're having that happen again. Apparently, six different Carnival Vista itineraries are going to be impacted because they have to do maintenance work and they're going to do it during sailings which will prevent the ship from reaching the speed that it would need to hit the itineraries that have planned. What's really interesting is in this case that they're going to take place over quite a few months um, because the first itineraries impacted will be in October of this year. And the last impacted itineraries, at least as far as they can see right now, will be in mid-February of next year. Each of those impacted itineraries are seven-night round-trip Western Caribbean sailings out of Galveston. And, you know, there will be some in the middle that are not impacted because they were shorter itineraries, you know, where they were already planning to go slower. But the problem here is that they have to switch the itineraries because at the slower speed, they will have to cruise in order to safely do the repairs that need to be done. They can't possibly get where they were scheduled to go. So in those cases, they say, you know, well, we're not going to go to, you know, maybe Jamaica. We're going to go to someplace a little bit closer to Texas. So this is going to be seven itineraries that are impacted, uh, six itineraries, excuse me. Guests on these ships will be given $50 per person, up to $100 per stateroom. Or if they decide they don't want to do the itinerary, they can, you know, either reschedule or they can cancel entirely and get a refund. It just depends on how how really devoted they were to the original itinerary. Remember in 2019 when they took that ship and did a uh, like this crazy state of the art dry dock where they brought a barge off the coast of Nassau and floated it up, and the ship was like hovering over the water to change the azipods. That was still one of the coolest things I've ever seen to this day, the video of that, of how they did that. I think the two coolest, you know, modern day things that I've seen like that were the Vista Dry Dock where they did that. And the other was um, I watched a great documentary about how they righted the Concordia after the Concordia had sort of, you know, sunk and fallen on its side and and how they used technology in order to bring the ship up without it tearing apart. Very, very interesting, both of those. And they can both be found on YouTube if you want to look them up. 
Yeah, last week was uh, seven years since they floated it. Uh, they they ride it at sixty five degrees, Costa Concordia. It's it was amazing. You'd think it would twist like a pretzel after being underwater that long. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the techniques they used were fascinating. There's there's a couple of really great documentaries about it that are really worth checking out if you're into that kind of thing. And speaking of Costa, Costa Luminosa is now Carnival Luminosa, currently in dry dock and getting ready to be handed over. Somehow, I'm sure they would probably prefer that we not go directly from Costa <laughs> Costa Concordia to Costa Luminosa. But yeah, so Luminosa is one of two Costa ships that are joining the Carnival Cruise Line. Right now, Luminosa is in Italy getting a little bit of a makeover. She got the gorgeous new blue livery that Carnival introduced uh, about a year ago. Her funnel got the color scheme of Carnival, although it doesn't look as if she's going to get the traditional whale tail. I think they're keeping the funnel that they have on there and just giving it the color scheme. Some of the ship's Italian features will remain in place, so she'll still have that sort of cool international vibe, and it'll be a nice mixture of carnival, but with a twist. Of course, this being a carnival ship, they need to add a few things to it that carnival guests expect to have on this type of ship, like Fahrenheit 555 Steakhouse, the Red Frog um, Rum Bar, there'll be a Serenity Deck, they're adding an Alchemy Bar, because you can't have a carnival cruise ship these days without an Alchemy Bar. And when she is all set, she will start sailing out of Brisbane in November. So, you know, that's something for folks to look forward to. It's it's an opportunity to sail a ship that's familiar and different at the exact same time. Well, you know, you're a big Joe Farkas fan, Carnival's architect with all the Renaissance paintings and statues in just weird different rooms across all a bunch of different ships. Well, Farkas had his hand on this one as well, Costa Luminosa. So this is really Farkas up almost to the point of a fantasy class ship. And it'll be fun to see what they keep and what they change. You know, um, John Heald was doing some um, what he calls walkies, where he walks around the ship and shows various areas. And you could see that they were doing a lot of work. But he also would occasionally stop and say, this is a really cool thing that we are not changing. You know, and I I hope they maintain as much of both the Italian uh, design and also anything Joe Farkas. You know, I, I I dread the day when we finally have ships that like <laughs> there is no trace of Joe Farkas left. I mm-hmm. will I will yep, be very absolutely. sad. And it looks like Princess Cruises has a new class of ship coming out. We've been anxiously awaiting details on this one, and now we're finally getting some. Uh, so this is their new Sphere class, which is kind of a weird name, but it'll be the biggest ship ever built by Princess. That's kind of interesting to me because a lot of the lines are going smaller right now. You know, for example, Norwegian Prima is significantly smaller than the Breakaway and Breakaway Plus class ships. And Royal Caribbean, which every year introduces, you know, the next world's biggest ship, their next class of ship is going to be a little bit smaller. So it will not be one of the, I mean, it'll be one of the world's biggest, but it won't be the new world's biggest. So Princess rolling out something that is their largest is sort of going against that tide to a a certain degree. Of course, smaller is sort of a relative term given that these are still huge ships. But maybe the biggest news is that the Sphere class, of which this is the first, will offer Princess's first ship within a ship section. So, you know, on Norwegian, they have the Haven. On Celebrity, they have the Retreat. Here, it's sort of a two-part section. One of it is going to be called the Signature Collection, and the other is the Reserve Collection. The Signature Collection will be like the top 
suites on the ship. And they'll feature a private restaurant, a sun deck and lounge, all the things you expect from a ship within a ship concept. While the reserve collection will also have its own restaurant, apparently separate from the one from for the signature collection, but it won't have quite as many of the features that the other area will have. One thing I found fascinating was that in the description of what the reserve collection will include, it said in-room cabanas. I don't know exactly what that means. Um, I'm not sure what an in-room cabana is, but I guess we'll find out. There's also going to be the first ever geodesic dome on a cruise ship, sort of a glass ceiling that'll give the space the ability to be something different during the day than it is at night. They're also going with an updated atrium with like three levels and an LED screen, which, you know, has become all the rage over the last couple of years. Frankly, the sketches of the ship look absolutely gorgeous. We've seen with Norwegian's Prima and Carnival's Mardi Gras, it's the same here. It's sort of Princess taking their brand and elevating it to the next level. I mean, Princess is already sort of, you know, considered sort of a cut above, and this is them taking it even further. Sun Princess is going to debut in early 2024, and she'll spend her first summer in the Med and then relocate to Port Everglades in the fall of 2024. So we have a bunch of new ships coming up. This one's a little further out than some of the other ones we've been talking about. This is actually the third ship to be named Sun Princess. I had a chance to catch up with John Paget, president of Princess Cruises, last Thursday down at Port Everglades. And I asked him, why use Sun Princess for a third time? This is what he told us. Because where we're at from a Princess brand standpoint, the Princess brand is iconic. And we're powering it through innovation, but we're grounded in heritage. So we wanted to bring that Sun Princess name back. It's its third iteration because of the iconic nature of the ship. Richard, what do you think? And I hope this doesn't come across as disrespectful, but uh, what do you think about recycling cruise ship names? I guess it's kind of cool. It's sort of like, you know, naming your child after yourself, you know, passing down the legacy. And I found it weird when I first started hearing about it, because the, the, the line that I first started hearing about it with, with a lot was Holland America with like the Coning Dam and the and the Rotterdam and that. And I'd be like, wait, there's four different ships named that. But now I kind of get it, especially when there's a long period of time between them, like with the Mardi Gras, you know, that's that's a completely different situation. But you know, Sun Princess is a good name. It apparently has a good history with the company. So, you know, why not? Today's listener question is around NCL revamping their Latitudes program. So we're going to kind of do this a little bit backwards. I'm going to read the question first. And then, Richard, I want you to add some color to it and then answer the question. So this is the question we received about NCL's Latitude program change. It says, I'll be platinum after my cruise next month and going on Norwegian Prima in January. Some of the restaurants listed on the new change, like Moderno, aren't on Prima. Any idea if we get to choose other restaurants aboard Norwegian Prima for our free platinum meals. Okay, now before you jump into that, Richard, because I know you know all things Norwegian Cruise Line, I don't, so I need some context here. What change are we talking about? And then answer the question. <laughs> so um, I, I assume what he's talking about is the fact that Norwegian has recently updated their um, Latitudes program. And it's a little bit confusing, to be honest. And I think that's because Norwegian's dining has gotten so much more complicated. And I mean that in a good way. There was a time when pretty much every ship in the Norwegian fleet had the same restaurants. Now, however, ships like Prima have done away with older concepts like, let's say, La Cucina, their Italian restaurant, and replaced it with something newer and, and improved, in this case, um, Odna by Scarpetta. 
And they're constantly introducing these new concepts like Palomar, the new Mediterranean restaurant on Prima. So in the old days, when you reached platinum level with NCL, with their loyalty program, you'd get two dining certificates. One allowed you to choose between Cagney's and Le Bistro, and you could get a free bottle of wine with that meal. The other night you could choose between, uh, I think it was Moderno and La Cucina. And that was basically because all of the ships had those four restaurants, but they don't all, as the caller there or as the listener there mentioned, they don't all have those restaurants anymore. So now you get two certificates, but it's a little more generic. One night you get dinner for two in any of the restaurants on board offering a complimentary wine list. Now, Palomar is not on that, and you're probably thinking, why not? They have a wine list, but they don't have a complimentary wine list. They have a very high-end um, sort of curated wine list. So that restaurant is not included in the ones that you can choose with that first certificate. The other night, you get dinner for two in one of their other specialty restaurants. So it's a little more flexible than it was in the past. Like, you know, I never really was a big fan of La Cucina. So the fact that, you know, it was either La Cucina or Moderno, which I'm also like sort of, eh, whatever. I would always use it, but it was reluctantly at best. Now it's more flexible. You can go to, you know, one of the other restaurants that are considered specialty within that. There are, of course, going to be limitations and, you know, what you can order and all of that. Um, but it's it's one of the changes they've made to the, the uh, Latitudes program. One of the other ones they made, which is kind of strange, is that once you reach platinum level, you can get a 30% discount on the drink package. The reason I find that a little strange is, you know, I would think that anybody who wants the drink package on NCL is pretty much already getting it. So that seems like an odd thing because, you know, they have that free at sea perk where if you want the drink package, it's it's it, which is a, a really good deal, obviously. So why would you why would you take it at a 30 percent discount when you can get it for free? But maybe you like some of the other perks and you're taking those instead and you still get this. It's all a little bit confusing because it was just rolled out. In fact, some parts of the website still have the old information. They haven't all been updated with the new information. One thing to keep in mind as well, as far as the drink package goes, is that that price is about to go up. So it's going to go from $99, I believe it is right now, to $109. So um, that's effective, I believe, any sailing after January of 2023. So just file that away if you're looking at the drink package as something to purchase as opposed to getting as a free perk. 109 Wow. Almost double the price of the other cruise lines. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. The reason Norwegian does this, it's very smart from a marketing point of view because, you know, they can say, oh, look, with these perks, you're saving, you know, $600 or, you know, some more picking a number out of my, my head. And of course, the reason it sounds so good is because the price is so inflated. It reminds me of the old Wheel of Fortune. Back in the old days, Wheel of Fortune at the end, they would have a showcase of things that you could buy. And and all of these things were ridiculously priced, you know. So if you'd won $10,000, you'd be like, I want to buy that stuffed dog for $9,900 when it was really had a retail price of probably like, you know, $400. Sort of the same thing here in that they're, they're basically able to say that they're saving you a whole lot of money, but only because if you were to pay for this, you, were, you would be paying a ridiculous amount of money in the first place. Thank you for the context, my friend, staff writer Richard. Richard Sims. Richard, welcome back. It's been about three weeks or so. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for being here. As always, glad to be here. 
Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. Earlier this year, Mike sailed a bucket list cruise for a lot of us, a 12-day cruise from Honolulu to Tahiti on Norwegian Cruise Line's Norwegian Spirit. And he joins us on the line to talk all about it. How you doing, my friend? I'm good, Doug. How are you? Awesome. Thanks for uh, offering to share this review of Spirit and this killer itinerary. So before we get to the ship itself, the Norwegian Spirit, we're going to take a step back, as we always do. Give us some pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to sail this 12-day from Honolulu over to Tahiti? Well, just like uh, you were saying, it was a bucket list itinerary getting to see two of the world's most beautiful places, Hawaii, and as well as French Polynesia, like Bora Bora and Tahiti. And, you know, with everything that happened with the lockdowns and pandemic, you know, it it sounds kind of silly now, but if you take yourself back thinking, you know, planes, cruises were shut down, I was, you know, following your blogs and and looking at the websites and seeing, you know, all these ships getting beached in India or other places like that to be scrapped. And you kind of thought, you know, are we going to be traveling ever again, or is it going to be normal again? So it was something that uh, when, you know, I looked at this cruise, it was one that was kind of booked during the the pandemic times. And when we all sort of thought it would be like two weeks to the cure. And so it was originally supposed to have been a sailing on Norwegian Jewel in April 2021. But of course, cruises were still shut down then. So that one was canceled. And then a few months later, this one popped up on Norwegian Spirit for this itinerary which was may 2022 so we uh my friends and i we we booked very good so you're over in ottawa canada you had to make your way over to honolulu any pre-cruise time before you boarded spirit so norwegian offers like an air promo if you book in advance so we uh, we took that because the price was not comparable we would never have been able to uh to sort of fly that far for for what they were offering but you could only deviate by two days and because tahiti is such a small place they didn't allow anything on that end so we we flew into honolulu two days early and stayed at uh, uh in the area around waikiki what did you check out over in the area before you boarded the ship we sort of planned ahead and we had done, you know, as much as we could get done in a couple of days. So we booked the circle tour, Oahu circle tour, and then the ship didn't leave until 7 p.m. So we had kind of that whole day to play with. So we decided that we would use that sort of morning before the cruise to check out Pearl Harbor and the USS uh, Missouri battleship. 
Nice. I, Pearl Harbor, like, is that like a, I know it's a, it's gotta be like an emotional experience, but did you do an organized tour? Yeah, a tour in that, like, uh, there's like a van that'll bring you to Pearl Harbor and then mm-hmm. they sort of pay for the tickets. They pick you up near the hotel and, uh, and bring you there. And then you get, uh, tickets to the battleship are separate, but that's part of the package. And then they also bring you to, there's a, um, a military cemetery that's, not at Pearl Harbor, but around there. So it was uh, it was like a full day. Basically, we we finished. We got back around one or two. It starts early in the morning, and then uh, then we got on the ship around three. Did you get to go to the memorial? What is it like the bridge over the Arizona? Right. Yeah, that's part of the package. So you there is um when you get to the the land part of it, there's a museum there, and then there's like a little ferry boat that brings you across, and you have to have tickets, and there's like a big standby line, but when you kind of book these sort of organized tours, they they have the the tickets set up so that you just kind of get into a little line right before the the ferry boat. Gotcha. Well, it comes time to board Norwegian Spirit in Honolulu. How was the embarkation process? We got on again like uh, partway through the day, so like later on around three. So by that point, we almost just walked right on. And what was interesting, I'd never got on in Honolulu, is when you get there, the small terminal that's there, they had uh, they gave you lays at the port. So uh, women got flowers and men got a little seashell necklace. So it was kind of cool. And they took a picture. They had some hula girls to take those, you know, getting on the ship pictures. Very cool. Very cool. So from since it was so dead in the terminal, probably like 10 minutes or so from curb to ship. Yeah, it was about that much. It wasn't very long at all because there was really nobody really waiting in line. Most people had kind of already gone on board by then. I know you only really cruise Norwegian exclusively. So have you been on Spirit before? Uh, No, but my friends had been on Spirit. It was renovated, I guess, late 2019 or 2020, they say. So my friends actually got to sail on it on a Baltic cruise in the fall of 2019 before the renovation. So this was a pretty cool trip for them as well, because they got to sort of see the before and after. And there's quite a transformation of the decor, for example. So what were your first impressions when you boarded Spirit? I'd mostly been on the larger breakaway type ship. So this one was uh, smaller, but it was uh, it was really nice. It uh, was pretty and had been renovated uh, recently as well. So it had a nice feel to it. Very cool. You make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you have for this 12-day cruise? And what were your thoughts of it throughout the voyage? So originally I had booked an ocean view. And so then uh, I was given the option to do the Norwegian bid upgrade. And so I upgraded and I was able to get a balcony room for the cruise. So if you don't want me asking like 200, 300, would you throw down to get it? I think it was probably maybe about $300 at the, on the, the bid upgrade. Of course, it was like those rooms were a lot more to book, like if you were booking ahead of time. But uh, at the last minute, I was able to get uh, a really good deal. And as far as space, the balcony, the bathroom space and all that, how was that inside the room? It was fairly good. Like the the bathroom had the normal um, shower stall with glass and and the room had, you know, wasn't uh, giant, but it did have uh, a nice like uh, well-organized cabinets and closet area where you could put shelves and cubbies to to be able to, you know, store all your clothes. So I, I didn't have any problems at all. Let's talk about dining on board Norwegian Spirit. We'll start at the top over at the, 
I guess the Norwegian calls it what, Mike, the Garden Cafe? Right. So, yeah, they have a Garden Cafe. It's the buffet, and Norwegian has been operating their buffets in the self-serve way on this cruise. So it was basically like any other normal one. I think maybe because of the capacity, we were probably around you know 50% capacity. They kind of had one side of the buffet shut down, you know, to, uh, to accommodate the less, lesser people. Man, that sounds like a dream cruise, 50% and those destinations and ports of call. Wow. So cool. So yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. How about as far as like staffing, were there any issues? Like, um, I know they probably only shut half the garden cafe down because of the amount of people on board the ship, but other outside of the garden cafe, was it noticeable that there were short on staff anywhere? Not noticeable, but Norwegian typically has taste and savor are the two sort of main dining rooms that they have on this ship. They have taste and then another restaurant called Windows, which is the main dining room. And uh, during the cruise, taste was closed. They they had said that it was uh, because of capacity and it made sense that, you know, with only half the number of people to not need to keep two restaurants half full all the time. And the main, well, I guess Norwegian really doesn't have a main dining room, but the other dining option outside of the buffet area that would be considered main dining room on other ships. How was your experience in there through the cruise? Uh, it was good. We ended up eating so that, again, those two restaurants are typically taste and savor. Um, on this one, there was a restaurant taste, but it was closed. We had Windows is the uh, the name of the other main dining room. So it was a nice uh, location that's at the back of the ship. If you've ever seen Spirit, it has these large kind of palladium windows at the very back and that's where the restaurant is so it uh it was good and there was a lot of staff there to to take care of everybody and and they also the ship also has the local which is another one of the included venues on this itinerary are they serving special type of food that would be regional to the area like in the main dining room i didn't see anything in the main dining room but there was up in the garden cafe for example they had like a one of the nights they had like a suckling pig that was, the, you know, getting carved with the apple in its mouth, that sort of thing. So it was kind of cool to see. Good to eat, but disturbing to, to watch. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't focus on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any specialty dining on this cruise? Spirit has uh, Bistro, which, uh, you know, is a Norwegian French restaurant. It has Onda by Scarpetta, which is kind of like the upgraded uh, La Cucina restaurant. And so... Uh, it was really good. And uh, then there's Cagney's, of course, the signature steakhouse, Teppanyaki. Uh, and then they had a couple of Asian restaurants. There was a sushi and then there was another uh, Asian restaurant called Silk. But sushi, Silk and Teppanyaki were all kind of largely in the same part of the ship. It's it's not a very big ship. So all those restaurants, if you're used to seeing them, like were were much smaller. And did you hit all of them? We went to the Bistro. Uh, we really enjoyed going to Onda, so we went there a couple of times as well as Cagney's. On 12 days, we had um, a lot of different opportunities to go out for dinner. So Onda, is that, I know that it's an Italian um, slant there. Is Would it be like basically like a La Cucina, but um, is the menu different? I never ended up eating at La Cucina, but uh, the Onda menu was was pretty small, but had uh, a lot of, there were some pasta dishes. They had a really good, uh, we ended up having it a couple of the times, uh, pizza, like a thin crust sort of wood oven pizza. And it was, uh, was really delicious. 
Very cool. Now, how about outside of the specialty, the buffet and the main dining room, any kind of like poolside venues or, uh, I don't know, pizza or anything around the ship that you may have hit through the voyage? The ship normally has, um, there's a, an area called the called the beer garden up top Mm -hmm. um beer garden like in the german spelling it wasn't really operating just because of the number of people that were on board but they did have uh they called the great outdoors so they had this grill area that's basically on the pool deck and so on the sea days they were firing up some you know grilled chicken and and burgers and some different uh things on the sea days there so that was kind of nice to have outdoor dining options how was the entertainment on this 12-day cruise, and what did you think of it? On this cruise, they don't have like a Broadway show per se. The big uh, show that the smaller ships do, I think, is called Elements, which is sort of a, a dance show with some... Uh, there's a magician that's part of it, and and there's some kind of acrobatic elements. So that was uh, that was interesting. And then the the same sort of dance company that's that's part of the show, they do a show that's called Blazing Booch, which is like country covers and dancing. That was actually really good. You know, I'm not necessarily a country fan, but it was a really entertaining night. And um, then they have another show that they call Palace of Lights, which is sort of takes you back to Havana in the 50s with the sort of you know, uh, dancing girls and the feather shows and that sort of thing. So it was pretty cool. Those nights were sort of staggered. And then in between that, they had a magician and then some soloists that were providing songs as well, like, um, you know, a tribute to divas. And and so there was some, and then other small live bands that were playing around the ship throughout the week. And they were really terrific, actually. It was nice to sort of sit in the atrium and listen to the small bands play or the piano players in the champagne bar. So the ship was at 50% or so. So how was it during sea days as far as I'm sure not a lot of crowds and congestion? No, it wasn't really crowded. I wonder if they found a way to kind of space out the chairs a little bit that it didn't look super empty by any means, but it was uh, it was interesting. Now, again, Spirit isn't right. It's a touring ship, so it doesn't really have a you know, there's no water slides or whatever. And what they had done was used to have a little kitty area at the back. And they had, during the renovation, converted that into what Norwegian they call Spice H2O, which is like the adult's lounging area. So it had actually a pool in it because it used to be a kitty pool, but it was, that was kind of a, a great area to hang out. And, uh, you know, they had the sun decks as, as usual, but we didn't have too much trouble getting a chair, but you know, sometimes it was fairly busy on the sea days because everyone was there and, you know, everyone wanted to be outside. I know the casino rules are a little funky when you're in the Hawaiian waters, at least. But how was the casino as far as uh, like the smoking situation in and around it? Yeah. So the casino is closed when you're in Hawaiian waters. So uh, because gambling is not allowed in Hawaii. But what they did in the renovation was they created an area, a separate area for smoking. So it's sort of a, a closed off separate room. It wasn't a busy casino to begin with, but nobody was smoking in that part of it. We couldn't tell at all. Okay, very good. Well, let's talk about the ports of call on this 12-day cruise. What we'll do here is give us the first port, the highlight, then we'll go to the second one. The first, uh, of course, we left Honolulu. So we had done our sort of tours before then and 
the next morning we sailed and got to Maui. So we had booked an excursion there, which was like a downhill mountain biking trip. So what they did was pick us up at the port and take us in a van to the, uh, to the spot where the, the, like the bike place was. And then they hooked up a trailer that was full of the, the mountain bikes that we used. And then they drove us up this, uh, local mountain there about 6,500 feet, I think is sort of the height. I don't think we made it. We weren't at the very, very top. And then they sort of pulled over and pulled out the bikes. And then in a group, you end up just riding down the winding mountain roads. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. And it was interesting to go through all these different temperature changes where you're up in the clouds and it's sort of cold and, and then you get down to the bottom and it's really hot. It was, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And then what was next? The next day we went to uh, Kauai, which was actually an overnight. So that was kind of nice. As we sailed into Kauai, uh, into the harbor there, we saw this pod of dolphins that was just, you know, jumping around, which was super cool for somebody like me to see. And um, we did an island tour on the uh, the first day with like a lunch buffet that was part of it. It was this really kind of cool restaurant that they brought us to that was kind of open air place that was interesting that served kind of like Hawaiian things like Kalua pork. And then we walked to a local beach that was pretty close to the ship and uh, just kind of hung out there for the evening. The next day, you know, we, we sort of been planning this for a long time and didn't know how we would be going back to Hawaii. So we, uh, we splurged on the helicopter tour, which is amazing. We flew with uh, blue Hawaii uh, helicopters and it was really neat to, you know, to sort of see these things like a lot of Hawaii is a backdrop or Kauai was a backdrop for, you know, Jurassic Park or other things like that. So it was amazing to see those things like the Nepali coast and, you know, a lot of those areas aren't accessible in a car anyway. So it was mm-hmm. very neat to do that uh, helicopter tour. Definitely worth it. And what was the third port of call? We were at uh, Big Island. And so we did the bus tour of uh, Volcano National Park. So that was pretty cool to get a chance to go and see that uh, area. We we sort of missed, uh, since we left, uh, Kilauea was a lot more active in this last summer, but uh, it was still pretty cool to sort of see these uh, volcanic vents and things like that, sort of like pushing steam out into the parking lot. It was really cool. Nice. Where did you go next? Uh, so yeah, next we had four sea days to take us to French Polynesia. So I was a little bit worried about four sea days about being bored or about mm-hmm. getting seasick. And it was fairly rough. I remember we were, uh, you know, swimming in the, in the pool and, uh, it had become a wave pool. So it was pretty cool to be in that. And it got to the point after a couple of days of that, that they actually had to sort of drain it. Cause it was, it was causing, it was sloshing around way too much, you know, mm-hmm. sort of kicking up six or seven feet waves into the hot tubs. So it was kind of a good break from a very busy sort of Hawaiian itinerary. And then we were just ahead of the Tahiti itinerary. So you didn't have any FOMO. You were just like laying on the pool deck and just hanging out all day long. And you didn't really have anywhere to be. You could just, you know, sleep till you're hungry and then eat till you're tired. I was going to say, just eat, drink and be lazy. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So then you got over to the French Polynesia area. What port was first? So the first was uh, Reatea. And so we did a tour there to an island called Taha. So we did a a bus tour that included 
cultural show and we went to a vanilla farm to sort of see how they cultivate vanilla there. And uh, there was a demonstration at the cultural show about uh, pearls. They have uh, black pearls is I'm not a jewelry person, but uh, French Polynesia is known for black pearls. Nice. Next, um, the last couple of ports were tender ports because uh, they're they're very small and non-commercial. So next we went to, you know, definitely one of the highlights was Bora Bora. So it's as beautiful as it looks in, you know, in the pictures, when you see those things and, and you see those overwater bungalows, just as a spoiler for everybody, they're about a thousand to $2,000 a night, I'm told. Wow. So yeah, it was, but it was really cool to, uh, to sort of sail around and see that we did a glass bottom boat tour, and then we had a chance to swim with black tip sharks and uh, rays. So that was, again, you know, I'm, not from Florida, so we don't see too many sharks mm-hmm. where I come from. So it was was very cool to to be in those waters. And again, it was really cool to have the sea temperature be 78, the air temperature be 78, and you just sort of like fall off the side of the boat into the water and it's, you know, not freezing or anything. It's really was really cool. And then in the afternoon, we did a bus tour of the island to get a chance to see everything. What's the vibe like uh, around the island? Is it more, is it commercialized? Is it more local and mom and pop places? So they have like, a, you know, the, the overwater hotels that have all those bungalows. There's quite a few of them. And you have brands like Hilton and Four Seasons. But there are some other smaller type places. I mean, the hotels employ locals because it's way too far away for them to like have workforce come from some other place. So French Polynesia is very small and less commercial than than I would, you know, than we've seen in other places. It was quite nice and and the people were nice too. It was uh, was a good spot, a lot of Tahitian people and and it was neat culture to see. So was English pretty fluent there? I mean, I imagine it must be with the fact that a lot of Americans vacation there. Yeah, we didn't have any real troubles uh, to to speak English, but um, they do speak French and then they they speak Tahitian, which like nobody I know speaks. But uh, yeah, we didn't have any problems kind of getting anything sorted out. They take in French Polynesia kind of a a Polynesian franc is the the currency that they use. So it's not really something that we, we didn't have any problems just even using like credit cards at the grocery store or things like that. So you can survive definitely by using US dollars to get around like you wouldn't, uh, you don't have to worry too much. Sounds like an awesome time there. What was next? Uh, so next we went to the island of Moria and there we also did a, a bus tour kind of in the morning. We were trying to kind of capitalize when we booked our excursions to sort of max out the days. And then in the uh, we did a catamaran and snorkel tour, which was really cool. The uh, catamaran took you around uh, a lot of the, the island and some of the bays and, and then you had a chance to uh, do a bit of snorkeling and, and then the, the bus tour in the afternoon. You were mentioning that it's everything that you've seen in photos. I mean, being there in person, it's just, I mean, I can only imagine how stunning it is, but like, is it the most beautiful water you've ever seen in your life? Yeah, for sure. Like it, the water is crystal clear, it's turquoise and uh, it's really cool. And it's super cool to see, you know, the, 
you know, the overwater bungalow, the hotels and to see those buildings and, Mm -hmm. and all the palm trees and stuff. It's just, it it is really, it's really great. And, and the, it's again, like a similar to Hawaii in that it's a volcanic Island. So you just have these kind of like cliffs that come out of nowhere in the green, these sort of lush, sharp kind of mountain ranges that are just, it's just super cool to look at. I'm looking at um, photos of Morea right now, and it's just like I look at those over the water bungalows. Now that you mentioned how much they were, and I'm just counting like one thousand, two thousand, three thousand. <laughs> how much they're yeah, making for that? I'm sure that's not all inclusive for sure. I would I would be ninety percent sure that you're buying your own drinks and dinners there. But oh, yeah, uh, yeah, they they definitely they they look beautiful though. Yeah, they they sure do. So after Morea, what was next? So Moreo is pretty close to the disembarkation point, the island of Tahiti and Papieti. So we kind of left, um, and so Bora Bora and Moreo were uh, tender ports. So we actually used the ship's own tenders, which I'd never done before. It was interesting. So a few hours later, we landed in Papieti. And then because I was mentioning about the air, Norwegian had, they told us ahead of time and we got onboard credit as well to compensate us, but they said they had to charter a flight for all of those NCL air passengers to fly back home. So, you know, instead of going home the next morning, we basically got off the ship around 8 PM and then they started to bus us to the, uh, the airport and we all ended up getting on pretty much the same flight back to L.A., so if you had Norwegian book your air or book your air through Norwegian, I guess, there was no post night in Tahiti. It was basically you're getting on a plane and leaving. That's right. Yeah, they they didn't have it. Uh, when my cruise consultant, we were talking about it, that they just don't have enough kind of daily flights or traffic, especially probably during this sort of shutdown time. Like a lot of the islands were you know, they were decimated. A lot of these hotels actually went out of business during uh, COVID and lockdowns because it's so far away that, you know, people weren't going to just still kind of just throw caution to the wind and travel there. Um, so they, you know, it was pretty limited. We understood that. And, and you know, they uh, Norwegian compensated us. We got like, I think it was $200, $250 of onboard credit to uh, to compensate us for sending us home. And really, you would be getting on the plane, you know, 12 hours later anyways. So yeah. nah, I gotcha. Makes sense there then. Well, so when it comes time to disembark, as far as the process, is there any kind of customs or anything you had to go through before leaving and going to the airport? Not because we were, we had sort of, oh, they had um, embarked during the four sea days. They actually embarked someone from the French Polynesian like immigration. Mm -hmm. So uh, they got on the boat and while we were on sea days, everybody did their sort of passport check-ins as, you know, and they were calling deck by deck to go in and do that. So we already kind of had done our immigration stuff. And then when we got to the airport, you know, or got off the ship, that's when they, they disembarked us and for the immigration thing. So we just got to the airport and stood in line to get checked in and then uh, went through airport security and, the open air uh, Papieta airport, which was kind of interesting with no real walls. And uh, and then we walked out to the tarmac and, and got onto the plane, like by the, you know, they had one of those little outdoor kind of, it almost looked like a gangway to get on the ship. It was mm-hmm. kind of cool. 
And uh, yeah, and so then we we made our way to LA, and then because we were flying back home to Canada, you know, we we ended up. That's when you checked in with the U.S. Customs the way that you that you would after arriving, and they also did uh, COVID testing on the ship for people because at that time you still had to have a negative COVID test to fly into the U.S. Gotcha. Okay. Well, any first time tips to offer anyone doing a French Polynesia? itinerary or sailing on Norwegian spirit? Uh, so first time tips, I, I mean, this this wasn't a first time type of cruise, but, you know, it was, I, I would definitely, if anybody's thinking about going to these places, I wouldn't hesitate. Like it's it's beautiful and, and really Hawaii and French Polynesia, they're in the same time zone. They have uh, similar weather. So it it's basically kind of nice the whole year around. So that's something to think about. We went in May and it was, you know, it was very beautiful and wasn't too, too hot. As far as first time tips, like just for cruising in general, just do your research and kind of plan out the things that you want to do and, and kind of have an idea so that you can try and get to spend as much time, you know, exploring as, as you can get there. There wasn't a lot. The French Polynesia had some small sort of tours, but it wasn't kind of like what you would see in like Cozumel where there's just like tons of operators. If you have no plans or planned anything ahead of time, like mm. it's not, they don't have the same infrastructure to, to make those kind of on the fly kind of accommodations. Gotcha. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for everyone? Uh, we all definitely enjoyed the, uh, the time that we were, you know, swimming with the sharks. That was pretty cool. And, um, and the helicopter tour in in Kauai, that was uh, that's something that we'll never forget for sure. Very cool. Well, in closing here, Mike, your final thoughts of Norwegian Spirit. It was a great ship. It was renovated in 2019, and then so with the uh, shutdown, it ended up being the last of the Norwegian ships to return. Probably, I think, like late April. So we ended up because of that. Uh, we were only the fourth group to sort of sail on this ship since the refurb. So that was pretty cool. And my friends had actually sailed on the ship uh, the last before prior to the renovation. So it was very interesting for them. And they chatted with a couple of the crew that had been around and some that new crew to sort of talk about how the changes were. There was a lot of changes. Norwegian bought it from Star Cruises. So it had kind of an Asian theme. There was a lot of these you know, like uh, those like stone forbidden city type soldiers and, and samurais and different themes like Chinese lions and that sort of thing all mm-hmm. around the ship before. So it had a very different vibe this time that it, uh, it was pretty cool. The crew was very friendly and, uh, you know, some new crew that were on there and uh, the food was good and drinks were good. It was uh, it was a good time. We've been talking with Mike about his 12-day cruise from Honolulu to Tahiti aboard Norwegian Spirit. Mike, thank you so much for sharing this review, my friend. Well, thank you very much, Doug. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.